Warning, this podcast contains strong language, graphic nudity, and depictions of extreme stupidity and is meant only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Or not, you do you. Hello and welcome to the worst podcast on Mars, also known as Parking Cars in the Harvard Yard. I'm Amanda. That was terrible. (laughs) It was. I didn't try to do it with the accent. (laughs) that's heaven and this is the podcast where we talk about music and we give you the history behind um some very very big albums and evan just shows up and pretends to listen and this week we're talking boston's debut boston before we get in that sup sup so we just got since we last recorded we got back from a short vacation we visited your mom in tennessee Spent a lot of time in the pool, went into the Gatlinburg area, the very touristy Gatlinburg area, and we stopped at, a, at Bucky's yes. while we were out, and you got beaver nuggets. Um, Sounds dirty. Yes. What? Anything else happen? I didn't die, so that didn't happen. Oh, great. Thanks for that. Glad we're having this conversation. Should I just move on? Sure. Um. So corrections. Last week was Red Hot Chili Peppers Californication. Do you have any corrections from that? Not that I know of. Do yeah. you? I, I I don't either. Um. All right. Well, I guess I'll just uh, get into it. We are doing Boston's Boston. It was released August 25th, 1976, and is number 43 on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame list of 200 definitive albums. You ready? Okay. It's also August. Yes. That's soon. That's how things work. That's how time works. Packing cars in the Hava Yad. All right, so this self-titled album was Boston's debut and came about in a rather interesting way. Uh, band leader Tom Scholes finally got a record deal with Epic Records, but it was under the name Mother's Milk. According to the contract, the band was to record the album in Los Angeles, but Scholes didn't like that. Your hand is up already. That was a third sentence. What? That was also a Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Thank you for tying the two together. Well, everything's been tied together this month, so there's another tie-in of how things are connected. Good job. Okay, so according to the contract he signed, the band was to record the album in L.A., but Schultz didn't like that. To record all of his demos leading up to this point, he played all by himself, recording in overdubs in his own basement. The only thing he didn't do were the drums and Brad Delp's vocal parts. Since that seemed to work for the demos, he wanted to use the same technique for the album, consistently assuring the producer and Epic representatives that the album was being made in in Los Angeles, when in reality, it was being recorded in Scholl's basement, and mostly by himself. He noted that, quote, what they didn't know wouldn't hurt them. The only time Scholl's was even in Los Angeles, aside from recording vocals, was to mix the album. By doing this, it only cost just a few thousand dollars to produce. So he really, he had this style of doing it, and he liked having this control that he didn't want to move into a studio. He would just, he would bang out one part, and then 
do another part, do a third part, and just oh, edit edit it and just overdub everything to make it be what he wanted it to be. There are a couple others like that. I think Ghost has kind of a same... Mm-hmm. They, he's got control of that. I think, if I remember correctly, Bathory was the same way that he had a hand in most of the instruments himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but... He just was like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm totally in L.A. recording this when he was just in his basement in guess where? Chicago. Yeah, good job. So, Scholes was actually working for Polaroid at the time and playing with bands just as a side gig. At the time, he was married and using the money set aside for a down payment on a house, he bought a ton of equipment that allowed him to do these basement recordings. He didn't even quit his job at Polaroid when the album was released, thinking it wasn't going to do well. Even when it started doing well, he couldn't believe it and didn't quit his job there until the band went off on their own headlining tour the next year. So, like, he's working at Polaroid, and he hears his own song on the radio, and he still is like, nah, I'm not gonna quit. It wasn't until he had to go leave to tour. When he actually had to leave. Yeah. Uh, he just, he had been rejected so many times that he just had no confidence in himself. And it was like, I just can't, you know, this ain't happening. While the time between getting a recording deal and Shoals turning over the final mix of their debut was relatively short, the actual time from beginning to end took a lot longer than that, with Shoals noting that he wrote foreplay around 1969 and ending the whole process in 1975. Using all his spare money into equipment and tapes, he kept working on these different demos trying to score that record deal. He was about to give up before finally getting a deal with Epic. While they wanted more than the demo, he took what he had and made it happen. So he he had been putting out all these demos for a long time, right? And he just kept working and tweaking, gets a deal with Epic, and they're like, yeah, that's great, we want we want more. And he's like, um, also no, I'm going to give you what I have. And, um... This is going to be the album. Right. So, um, Boston, the album, contains a mixture of sounds. According to Tim Summer of The Observer. Sorry, I had a weird pause there because I hit something on this tablet and it did something wonky. I'm going to start over. So, according to Tim Sumner, Summer, sorry, hi, I host a podcast in which I have to talk. I'm a professional. Um, Professional asshole. Tim S. of The Observer. (laughs) It has the, quote, immediacy of pop but also the deliberate intricacy of prog rock fuck's sake it had that's not part of the quote um it has california pops attention to zealous sweet harmony yet it also has some of the heaviest and most memorable guitar riffs on the planet adding that it was quote an absolute treasure of melody and architecture his main inspiration came from two sources todd rundgren and jimmy page all he needed to hear was just 10 seconds from each, and he was inspired. However, we've, we've talked about Rundgren recently. Mm-hmm. I think he was a part of Bad Out of Hell. I think so. However, this new sound was quickly dubbed as corporate rock. Boston was? Mm-hmm. Okay. Which was my last sentence. You interrupted me right before my last sentence. So he just, um, from what I read about Shoals, 
he's very musically inclined, which, okay, duh, he's a famous musician, but, you know, there are some people out there, we've talked before, who can write, and they, but they, they can't, like, perform, and then you have people who can perform but can't write, you have people that can do both, you also have this, I think it's a small group of people, and maybe it's more, I'm sure it's more than what I think, but that can just hear, and they're, like, they, they hear it once, and they're like, I got it, and they yeah, play they, Yeah, and they plug it out. I think Mozart was that way. Yeah, I need sheet music. For fuck's sake, I need sheet music. And um, it, he was kind of that way, where he just, he heard just 10 seconds from these other two artists, and it inspired him to just write everything he did. Just 10 seconds. So I thought that was pretty amazing. Fun fact, Eddie Kramer... Producer for the album and Kiss's Kiss Alive stated in an interview that he thought the Boston demos were ready to go with just a few minor tweaks. However, after listening to Kiss, he thought that those guys needed serious help. Yes, they did. And uh, they were just about done because this was... I'm trying to remember when Alive came out. But it wasn't their first album, right? No, Kiss Alive. So... They had Kiss, and then they had, I think, Hotter Than Hell, and then they had Dress to Kill with Rock and Roll All Night, and then I think between that and Detroit Rock City, it wasn't going so well because their stage performance wasn't translating to studio albums. Mm -hmm. So they recorded one of their shows, and that's like the version of Rock and Roll you hear on the radio that is the live version so i I, well i thought it was interesting you have this producer who did one from a new group and one from a well-established group and he said the one from the new group just needed a few very tiny tweaks to make it perfect and the the well-established group needed a hell of a lot of help (laughs) And I, I thought that was funny. But that's all I had for the history part of it. Do you have anything to add or any questions before I move on? No. All right, moving on then. So Boston ended up selling half a million copies within the first few weeks of its release. The album went on to sell more than 25 million copies across the world and went 17 times platinum in the U.S., joining the list of artists like Whitney Houston, Lauryn Hill, Linkin Park, and Guns N' Roses, Boston became one of the biggest selling first albums in the history of popular music. And since it was recorded in Scholl's basement, it was also the biggest selling home recording of all time. So we we talked before when we did Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, that is the best selling debut album ever. I believe so. So you have some of these other artists and Linkin Park's Hybrid Theory, that was their debut and we talked about how well it sold. Um, we have not done anything by Whitney Houston or Lauren Hill. Is Lauren Hill part of the Fugees? Yes. Okay. And then she broke off on her own. So it's. And I think Lauren Hill is on this list. I think so. Yes, the education of Lauren Hill. So that was it was her debut solo album. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I I think Whitney Houston was just a solo act from the get go. Dad, I don't know. Um, but it's very interesting that Boston came out and and i said this with guns and roses i thought it was very impressive that a debut album just sold so well 
but the fact that it was done in his basement also makes it a home recording, which I'm sure there are others because, that, you know, as artists um, get successful and make a lot of money and they have home studios. Like, I know Taylor Swift, especially with the pandemic, she did Evermore and Folklore at home. I think the, yeah, I think that home recording is a little bit weird because I'm wondering if it's classified as the biggest non-professional recording yeah i think that's i think at the time i think that would be a better way to word it than a home studio people didn't have access to a lot of that stuff at home you know now it's you can record an album on the thing in your pocket you know it's it's not gonna sound very great but it'll it'll sound better than some of the music out there right so boston reached number three on the billboard chart staying there for 132 weeks the singles released were more than a feeling long time and peace of mind fun fact here's a list of other albums released in august of 1976 you ready no no okay bye um grand funk railroad good singing good playing okay eric clapton no reason to cry manfred Mann's earth band the roaring silence Hawkwind, Sounding Sounds, Amazing Music. Artful Dodger, Honor Among Thieves. The Modern Lovers, The Modern Lovers. Split Ends, Second Thoughts, and Roxy Music, Viva. I've only heard of a few of those. Um, But the article I read where I got this, um, Boston is a huge name now. But at the time... You see what it was up against. I mean, Eric Clapton had been around for a while. Yeah, because cream because cream had been late sixties, right? So, I mean, to see what it was up against is very interesting, and it sold so well. So I, I I know sometimes that you ask, well, I wonder what else came out around the time, and and so I don't go searching for that. I don't go down all the rabbit holes that you possibly can. But I found a couple, and I don't remember what the other one was, but it was only another one where it was just provided to me. And I thought, oh, I'll add this. So (laughs) how about I read the next thing? The article where I got that list from also provided brief statements from a bunch of different music journalists that gave their own opinions. Over and over again, they said how great this album was and how it started the genre of corporate rock. But one in particular stood out. He said this album should be part of a classic rock starter kit because it is quintessential classic rock and will remain iconic for generations to come. So it just, this album just, if you, and I talk a lot about the different radio stations that we listen to at work and how most of them are classic rock stations. I hear Boston daily. It's just, it's, it's, they are in the list of the major classic rock artists that you hear all the time. So when he said that, I was like, that makes sense. You are holding up two fingers, and yeah. I know you're not saying peace to me because no, I'm in church, so I have, don't be with you. What? I have two things. So you said long time was a single. Mm-hmm. Was it both parts? It just said long time. It, it didn't go into detail. It just... Okay, I, I didn't know so if that... When, 
so here's how I kind of do that. When a lot of articles will talk about like, well, this single did whatever and it was the biggest blah, 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 or whatever. So I just, I make a section and it says singles release. So if I find anything that talks about any of the singles, I just, I add the title there and it didn't, didn't say okay. specifically. The other thing, I like how it's thrown in the starter pack list. And this is the majority of people's knowledge of Boston. Yes. And we'll talk a little bit about that more in our reviews. Spoiler alert. But um, you're right. Because they have six or seven other albums. Mm -hmm. So that is all I have. Would you like to hear my resources? Okay. Oh, I get an okay now, not a no. You're going to get them anyway. Thank you, too. How Boston Fooled Their Record Company with Their Debut by Tyler Golson, published November 8th, 2022 on FarOutMagazine.com. Thank you to Boston's debut album, Isn't a Guilty Pleasure. It's one of the best records ever by Tim Summer, published August 10th, 2016 on Observer.com. I almost made it through that entire one. Thank you to How Boston's Tom Scholz Made Their Entire Album in His Basement by Rafael Picaro, published June 17th, 2021 on Garage.com. Thank you to I Spent Six Months Making a Recording of a Song That I've Thrown Out, Tom Scholz on the Secrets of Boston's First Album by Kem Sh- Ken Sharp, published 14 days ago on Loudersound.com. I hate it when I see that, but it's that's all the information they give. Um... And, and I don't even know, like, if I look it up today, is it still going to say 14 days ago? You know, it. I don't yeah. do math, but no. Um, thank you to Boston's mini platinum debut, mini. <laughs> thank you to Bolton's, oh my god. Thank you to Boston's multi-platinum debut album, More Than a Feeling by Lee Zimmerman, no date, on bestclassicbands.com. And I know you're not going to cut any of that out. Thank you to the story of Boston's blockbuster debut album by Jeff Giles, published October, does not start with an A, August 25th, 2016 on ultimateclassicrock.com. And thank you to, thank you to Boston, Boston, album of the week, I'm broken. Thank you to Boston, Boston, album of the week club review, published by Classic Rock staff, September 17th, 2019 on loudersound.com. I'm going to take a break. Since you are broken. Give me your review. Okay. So, every time you cut to me, I have a completely different structure of how I do things. Of course. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you what I kept. Okay. And then I'll dive into it a little bit. So, I kept more than a feeling, peace of mind, foreplay long time, smoking, and hitch a ride. Okay. Okay. So... I've said this before, and I will continue to hammer this point home. Most albums are front-loaded. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about how we like the first half more and than the second half. this is according to what I can find about the split for A-side, B-side. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than a feeling, peace of mind, and foreplay, long time is the A. And then... Starting at rock and roll band through Let Me Take You Home Tonight is the B side. So that plays into yes, the front low front side is A side is great, B sides not as great, but still good. Mm-hmm. And I've said that unless it's a specific unless it's specifically a concept album, 
I think the problem with a lot of albums are the track ordering. You know, it seems like it's all right here instead of being spread out. Right. Like there, there are a bunch of albums that are have like a good like middle third to them, but the rest of it's like okay. Or like we did, um, never mind. Good A good one through six, and then it just falls apart. This is another one of those. It starts off strong and then just tapers off. Mm-hmm. However, and I am anticipating another you just uh, throw out a, an idea and i'm going to shoot your idea down i will say that this is the best self-titled debut by a band named after a location and your next your first thought is going to be chicago chicago did not start out as chicago it was chicago transit authority which is what their debut was and then they shortened their name so their album, Chicago, was not their self-titled debut. So oh I'm going to shoot that God. one down. All right. So that I will say that much about it. I hate the fact that you knew I was singing Chicago, but it, are there really any other uh, groups I, named after the place where they're from? Well, not just where they're from, but just in general. Like, uh, There's a band called Whitechapel. They're from Tennessee. But Whitechapel is not their... There, that is not their debut album. Uh, you can kind of go with Bay City Rollers because I think they got it by throwing a dart at a map and it landed in Bay City and then they added. But there's not really a whole lot of bands that I'm aware of that are named after locations. Also, I immediately thought of a Red Hammer. Because, you know, that, that, what is that thing that you do every once in a while where it's, um, I can guess what you're thinking of or, and it's, um, like you name a tool and name a color and are you thinking of a red hammer and you're like, no. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, please cut all this out because now I sound real stupid. Okay. You don't know me. (laughs) You don't know my brain. All right, bye. Continue. Uh... I will take my inspiration for the grade from Boston and give it an F. F is a part of Boston. It's F in Boston. You're stupid. So you give it a B? I give it like a B plus. Okay. If it was reorganized a little bit and it wasn't just, if it wasn't just appearing out of nowhere, like the... You listen to it, and you're like, oh, poof, here's another song. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I could see it going to an A-. minus. I wish, based on this strong album, that the rest of the career kind of lived up to it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think... I'm not overly familiar with the rest of their work. I've listened to it all. You should be able to name one other song of theirs, because she's sitting right across from you. Don't Look Back? Are you kidding? They have a song called Amanda. Oh, I know. You're, you're being stupid. Okay. I'm not being stupid. I am stupid. Right. Go make sense of that one. Okay. Do you have anything else to say? No, not for this. I mean, I have lots of things to say, but nothing that relates to this. Nothing intelligent. So, like everyone else, I knew more than a feeling before going into it. 
I hear it multiple times a week on those different classic rock stations that we talked about, and I even have it in my playlist already because I love the guitar riffs. Aside from that, I wasn't sure I knew anything else by name. I, well, okay, by name, because I think you knew long time. I well, would, if I, you wait for my review, maybe you would figure that out. Well, I don't want to wait a long time. I'm going to throw something at you. So I do know the song Amanda because, hello, of course I do. But I know that's on their next album. I did recognize Peace of Mind. I just never knew the name. I also knew Foreplay, and I didn't know this was them. Same with Rock and Roll Band and Smokin'. These are songs I like, but I've never really looked into them to see who they were by since I hear them all the time anyway. Like, these are songs that always play on those stations that I listen to. And it's, it, so I, I knew them, I just didn't register that they were Boston. Um, I also recognized Hitch a Ride, but never really cared for it, so I passed on it. And guess what? I also recognized Something About You and Let Me Take You Home Tonight. I ended up knowing the entire damn album and I had no clue. I had no clue it was Boston, but I knew every single song. Um, I know that I don't go track by track for these longer episodes, but as I was listening and taking notes for this section, I was continually shocked with how much I knew. I thought I would know two, maybe three songs tops, because that's typically what I know. I think I knew about three, four. I The five that I kept, I knew. Mm-hmm. And I think I might have known one of the others, but I couldn't tell you which yeah. one. I knew everything. And that's that's rare. Unless, it, like, I knew the entire Linkin Park album and the entire Albert Levine album. But those were, you know, ones that were important to me at the time of release. I had no clue. So I was really surprised by that. Um, normally, I have a sense of which way I'm going to feel about an artist or album before we get into it. And I wasn't sure with this one. Uh, like a lot of other groups now considered to be classic rock, they are just so-so because you hear their major hits over and over again. But now that I know a background, know the background to it a little more, I was trying to focus on the sound to see if it sounded different than what a traditional studio album sounded like. Um, remember when we talked Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones and how it was supposed to sound dirty because they recorded in their basement? of that mansion where there was a dirt floor. But when we listened to it through Apple Music, it was all remastered. So we couldn't get that feeling, you know? Yeah. I was kind of thinking that here as well. However, this one wasn't marked as remastered. So I was surprised with how clean and put together it sounded. I was very impressed. So I'm keeping more than a feeling, peace of mind, foreplay slash long time, rock and roll band, smoking, something about you, so literally everything but Hitch a Ride and Let Me Take You Home Tonight. Those two, they weren't bad, but I know I'd just skip over them if I had them on my own playlist. Yeah, I like Hitch a Ride, though. We talked about that. Oh, and actually, Amanda is not off of their second album. It's on their third one. Okay. I knew it wasn't on this one. That was my point. <laughs> um, but I gave it an A+. plus. So... Um, do you have final thoughts? No, I don't because I don't know how to do the stuff every do that we do every week. So I'm just going to throw it back to you. Okay, great. My final thoughts. The sound was amazing. When you hear about an album being recorded separately in someone's basement, especially for a new group, you don't expect it to sound this good. So that in itself was impressive. 
Additionally, every single song is such a banger that I've been hearing them for years, and I had no clue. I was so impressed by it. I did read that their other two albums aren't near as good, and a few claim that Amanda was where they quote-unquote sold out, but we really need to do those for Reviews Day's episodes. I want to come back to Boston. Uh, they released six studio albums. Okay. But we need to And I, I think they've done one without him. Mm-hmm. I think he died in 2017? No, it was earlier than that because it's 76, 78, and then 86, 94, 2002, and 2013. So it was the Life, Love, and Hope. Died in 2007, not 2017. Mm-hmm. All right. So Boston done flight has left we're out of the air aeroport aeroporta aerosmith goodbye callbacks <laughs> um do you have your birthdays ready to go yes i have the page loaded up all right so we're gonna learn these together because you don't prep no i do not so today should be august 18th all right I mean, unless there's a rift in the time and space continuum, it's going to be August 18th when this is released. Okay? Okay. Johnny Preston, American pop singer, best known for his 1960 U.S. and U.K. number one single, Running Bear. 1942. 1930. Okay. So you're off to a great start. Carl Wayne, singer with British rock band The Move who had the 1969 UK number one single, Blackberry Way, and hits with I Can Hear the Grass Grow, Flowers in the Rain, and Fire Brigade. 37. 44. God damn it. All right. Barbara Harris, singer with The Toys, 1965 US number two and UK number five single, A Lover's Concerto. 46. 45. Oh, okay. American singer and actress Sarah Dash, who with LaBelle had the 1975 U.S. number one and U.K. number 17 single, Lady Marmalade. Mm-hmm. She worked as a singer, session musician, and sideman for the Rolling Stones and Keith Richards. Hmm. 48. 45. And we were just talking about these guys. Nigel Griggs, bassist from New Zealand group Split Ends, with the 1980 U.K. number 12 single, I Got You. It had 10 albums, including 7 studio albums, reached the top 10 of the official New Zealand music chart. 50. 49. This is another band you know, not from this episode, but in general. Dennis Elliott, drummer with English-American rock band Foreigner, who scored the 1985 UK and US number one single, I Want to Know What Love Is. I want to sing the rest. <laughs> um, 51. 50. I don't know if you knew this person was a singer. He was also an actor. Patrick Swayze. Yeah. 1988 U.S. She's number... She's like th- the wind. U- 1988 U.S. number three and U.K. number 17 single. She's like the wind. 52. 52. So you got one right. He so died you- not too long ago. What do you call not too long ago? <laughs> Within the last 25 years. Okay. Then yes, you are correct. <laughs> it was 2009. Has it really been that long? Yeah. English songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and record producer, Stuart Matthew Mann. 
Matthew Mann. He gained worldwide fame as the guitar slash saxophonist of the English member English band Sade. I don't know if that one's Sade or if it's what is it Shade? Shade. I don't know on that one. Fifty-five. Sixty. This is a band I've heard of. Dan Peters, drummer with American alternative rock band Mud Honey. Their early releases on the Sub Pop label were massively influential on the Seattle music scene. I think that's also the label for uh, Nirvana. 63. 67. And we'll just do one more. Mm-hmm. Richard James from Aphex Twin. 1993 UK number 32 single, Move On. 73. 71. So we'll get to the On This Day. Okay. August 18th, 1962. This person made his debut with the Beatles, having had having had a two-hour rehearsal and preparation. Nobody can see you shake your head. This was the first appearance of the Beatles, as the world would come to know them. John Paul. So yes, it was Ringo. Yes, which is what I said. Mm-hmm. It's not my fault you don't listen to me. Hmm. Paul Jones left Manfred Mann just as Pretty Flamingo was climbing the U.S. charts in. On August 18th, 1966. Mentioned them earlier. Also in 1966, The Doors officially signed with Elektra Records in a deal for the band to produce how many albums? Three. Seven. I was going to say six, but I thought that was too high and unrealistic. (laughs) The band also reluctantly agreed to release Break On Through as their first single. The lyrics were changed in order to secure radio play. I thought that was a different word. August 18th, 1969, Mick Jagger was accidentally shot in the hand, not the head, which is what I thought it said, <laughs> during filming of Ned Kelly in Australia. In 1973, Diana Ross scored her second U.S. number one single with... Um, it's that disco one, Summer, Summer... No. What? Touch Me in the Morning. Yep. Song marked a turning point in her career, coming immediately after her Academy Award nomination for Best Actress in her acting debut, Lady Sings the Blues. In 1977, The Police made their live debut as a How Many Piece band when they played at Rebecca's in Birmingham, England. Three. Three. I'm going to give you the three artists, and you're going to tell me where they played. Okay? Okay. This was 1983. The Police, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and R.E.M. all appeared at this location for a show. Together? Mm-hmm. I, this place no longer exists as far as I'm aware. Studio 54. Shea Stadium. <laughs> Which is, who's, who plays at Shea? I believe... The Bears? No, it's New York. Oh, shit. I, for some reason... I don't know. I don't know what I was saying. I I can't remember if it was the Mets or the Yankees. Okay. In 1984, I'm not going to tell you the song or the artist. Okay? Okay. This person was at number one on the UK singles chart with his first solo single. It made this person the first person to reach number one as a solo artist and a member of a band in the same year. I want to say Paul McCartney. But that's not right. No, because the Beatles were... Right. I don't know. Who is it? George Michael. Oh. Okay. What was the song? So he was with Wham, and I bet it was Wake Me Up. 
before you go? Well, that one it doesn't say. It just says a solo single. And then his faith? Careless Whisper. Careless Whisper. I think this is on this list. August 18th, 1986, Bon Jovi released their third studio album, which peaked at number one on the U.S. charts, going on to sell over 28 million copies worldwide. Two U.S. chart toppers, You Give Love a Bad Name, and Living on a Prayer. Slippery When Wet? Yes. Okay. So, in 1991, this act appeared at the Boardwalk in Manchester. The supporting act was The Rain, which later became Oasis, minus Noel Gallagher. The headliner was Sweet Jesus. Sweet Jesus. August 18th, 1992, Kurt Cobain became a father when his wife gave birth to a daughter. What is her name? Frances Bean. 2008... Soul singer Purvis Jackson died of cancer. He was a member of what band? I don't know. The Spinners. Never heard of them. Also known as the Motown Spinners and the Detroit Spinners. I don't quite understand this wording. In 2014, Ed Sheeran's album X notched up eight weeks at number one on the UK chart, becoming the joint longest chart topper by a male solo artist. Okay, so it must have tied the record. The last man to achieve the feat was... I don't know. James Blunt. And then that's all I'll get you. All right. Well, do you have any recommendations? Yes, kind of. Okay. So I'm going to give you one more on this day, and then that leads into my recommendation. I know we finished it already, but I'm going to go back to it. Okay. Because that's how things work here. Jack Sherman... Died at age 64 of a heart attack at his home in Savannah, Georgia in 2020. Mm-hmm. He is best known as the second guitarist to have joined the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Played on their debut and co-wrote much of their second album. Okay? Mm-hmm. So last week was also Red Hot Chili Peppers. Right. So I'm going to recommend a band to you. Specifically one album because it's their biggest album and it's the only one I know. So I'm going to tell you the album, and you're going to tell me the band if you can, okay? Mm-hmm. Sailing the Seas of Cheese. This is Primus. This is Primus. You told me the other day, I'm going to recommend Primus to you. I'm like, okay. I think you would like Primus. If It sounds, he sounds a lot like Flea in his playing style. Okay. And it's all nonsense. It's a little different delivery but their focus is the way i heard it explained to me was there's less claypool and then somebody shows up on guitar every once in a while and the drummer tries like hell to keep up it's just like whatever direction we're going in because mm-hmm. he is the fo- he is the focal instrument the drums and the guitar work with it but it's it's most some things are like more guitar oriented and some things are more drum oriented but this is one of the only ones that i know that's specifically seems like it's oriented around the bass mm-hmm. i mean worth a shot you'll probably have to pick them for reviews days i started a new podcast <laughs> i mean that's not a surprise it's it's six years old is that you're gonna be a recommendation no it is not Although I will tell you about the name of the podcast is afterwards because you're going to laugh at it. But 
Myra? Well, if you tell me now, I might laugh on Mike. Two girls, one ghost. You're trying hard not to laugh. Prove it. <laughs> Prove it. Um, I had just discussed... They've been around for a while, but um, they just did um, a collaboration with another podcast I listened to. I've seen their cover art for a while. I just never wanted to check them out, and they were pretty decent, and I'm actually really enjoying them, but that no, that's not my recommendation. Because um, I had just finished another book... And it got, I got thinking, um, my, I decided this year was going to be less scrolling and trying to read more. And even though I do a lot of that on my phone, like I have a library app, I can borrow books and, um, cause it's harder for me to have the physical book just because of where I read, um, and where I have opportunities to read. So I've been borrowing a lot and because I don't, leading up to this year I never read a lot I love to read I just don't have an opportunity and I I used to love to read I can't focus anymore Mm -hmm. to read so I set a goal of 20 books thinking that that was a little more than one a month and you know that that's doable it is at the time of recording this it is the beginning of August and I just finished book 25 yesterday um, and I, I really struggled. This is, this is, and I'm getting into my recommendation. We're taking a bit of a windy road to get there, but. I need some snacks. Yes. Um, I, I love Stephen King books. That should be no surprise. But I have read everything I have access to. I'm either waiting on some of his books to come in or, um, I can't, I don't have access to them on this library app. So I, I've read everything I have access to, which is a pretty big catalog. I've also read all of the Nicholas Sparks book books, but those are the only two authors I know I like consistently. I don't know of any other authors that I've tried reading that I like. So a while Dan back, Brown? eh, that I, that's more, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. So I, um, a while back I was stuck because I'm like, I want to read more books. I just don't know what to read. Like, I don't even know where to start. So I just Googled, like, best-selling thrillers. I love thrillers. And yeah, Evan is doing the thriller dance on the couch. Prove it. I knew you were going to say that. Um, you know why? You can't prove it. You know why? Because it's an audio medium. Uh-huh. Um. And so I, I, I googled this list of, of these thrillers and I read the descriptions and I went through like two or three different lists and I read through descriptions trying to get a feel of what it was because I don't, I, I love listening to true crime. I don't like reading about true crime. That's, that feels yeah, too I, textbooky for Otherwise me. I would have recommended Patricia Cornwell. Yeah. Um, and I don't like the, the cop forensics i don't like yeah, reading about that that's stuff Patricia i like listen i like it if somebody tells me that tell me a story i'm fine with that but i like the thrillers where it's from the person's like the the victim's perspective or you know that kind of thing so um i just on a whim i i have the goodreads app and you can put lists of books in there and keep track of the ones you've read ones you're reading ones you want to read and every so often you know, i'll go through 
I have read some really amazing books lately that I was surprised about and I found new authors that I want to check out. And that that is my recommendation is take the time to just discover a new book. I think for many of us, reading has become kind of a lost, I don't want to say necessarily a lost art, but it's kind of a dying pastime because when you want to kill time, what do you do? You go to your phone and you scroll on social media or you play games, you just, you know, mindless. And so I've been trying to do that more and I'm enjoying a lot of these stories and, and finding these new authors. So that's, that's my recommendation, my nerdy, very long-winded recommendation that I had forgotten about and then had to sit here while you were telling me yours and scramble to remember it. So (laughs) anything else? Not for this one. All right. So thank you for listening. If you made it through any of that, um, you can find us on Instagram at Worst Pod on Mars and Threads at Worst Pod on Mars and Facebook at Worst Pod on Mars. Worst Podcast on Mars. Sorry. Um, stop by, say hi, um, leave us a rating or a review. I'll read the reviews here. You can send us an email if you can't leave a review on Spotify. You can email it to me um, at Worst on Mars at gmail.com. and give us a suggestion. Um, for an episode because on Tuesdays we do these little small ones where we do a few facts about the album and then we give our reviews on it and we're trying to discover new music and and I'm helping with that because I've got a couple planned for reviews days so um did I do all the things I did all the things I always ask you if I do all the things and you don't know because you don't listen but come back next week we're doing Dr. Dre's The Chronic I'm so excited okay bye